welcome to Civil War Talk Radio with host Jerry Prokopovich. Our program covers all aspects of Civil War history, from the battlefields to the home fronts, and features guest experts, plus insight from your host as they discuss the most critical period in American history. Now, here is your host, Jerry Prokopovich. Thank you and welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I am indeed Jerry Prokopovich. In 1860, Abraham Lincoln needed to make himself known to the nation's voters. By 1864, everyone knew who he was, but he had to present a new image of himself to secure his re-election and union victory. In an age before radio, television, and the internet, one important way to do this was to have someone write a biography. No one knows more about Lincoln campaign biographies than our guest tonight. He is Thomas Horrocks, Director of Special Collections and the John Hay Library at Brown University. Join us tonight on Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at ecu Edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome to Civil War Talk Radio for the last Wednesday in October 2013. Still getting used to the new Wednesday evening schedule here at Civil War Talk Radio from our headquarters building, which is the Bruce Brewster building on the campus of East Carolina University. We're up on the third floor. It's now a third floor walk-up as our loan elevator is out of order for the rest of the semester. But even though we broadcast from here, it's not the university that's talking, nor will our guest's institution be speaking through him. And we're all on our own hook, making trouble for ourselves individually. And with legal news out of the way, I will start our show by first apologizing, listeners, to all of you for Last week's failure to have a new show, Alan Gelzo was scheduled to be here. Uh, he has written a 
relatively new book about the Battle of Gettysburg, and it's a uh, uh, spoiler alert. It's a good book. Uh, the Union wins again, but uh, not necessarily for all the reasons you may have seen in previous versions. So it's definitely worth your time to read. Uh, Alan had a personnel crisis pop up at literally the last five minutes before the show. Uh, we were in touch later that evening after the scheduled time. I found out what had happened. And uh, I apologize to our engineer for all my profanity and lack of cool as we waited for the phone to connect and, and nobody was in Alan's office. It was not his fault. And uh, I was I was was pretty darn frustrated because I was looking forward to the show. We're going to reschedule it. Uh, uh, Dr. Gelso and I have been going back and forth trying to find a good time to do that. So we'll get him back on the show. Uh, in the meantime, we've got lots of other interesting guests coming up in the Weeks ahead, uh, next week, David Soselski joins us to talk about uh, the the fires of freedom, a look at the war here in eastern North Carolina from uh, slaves' point of view, a, a beautifully written book, uh, highly recommended. Uh, then we've got others, uh, and if I don't praise each book, it's only because I haven't gotten to reading them yet. Uh, uh, on November 13th, Tom Vossler, who with Carol Reardon has written a guide to Gettysburg, be a good warm-up for uh, Dr. Gelzo's return. On November 20, Frank Varney will tell us what's wrong with U.S. Grant and why he was unfair to William Rosecrans. On December 4th, Eric Jacobson will join us. Third time's the charm, as I've tried to get him on before and, and messed up, and this time it's going to work for sure, and he will join us to talk about the Battle of Franklin. And to end up the fall season before we take a, a winter hiatus for a few weeks, James Oakes will be with us to discuss Freedom National, his uh, large and important new book about emancipation as a war, war long process, not just one proclamation. So lots of good stuff coming up. Um, and it's really welcome, I will say, around here, certainly here at Civil War Talk Radio World Headquarters, where I sit now looking out into the dark uh, parking lot and the sea of traffic going back and forth at 10th Street. Uh, the semester progresses here at East Carolina University. The students are uh, doing their best. The first-year students that I'm teaching in uh, Intro to American History up, up through 1860, 1877, rather, uh, are, are really fun to, to work with. And those few hours of the week when I'm in the classroom are great. The hour I'm with you here chatting is great. And in between, it just keeps spiraling. Uh, learned yesterday that uh, the fixed-term faculty we normally hire for a course at a time to fill in when someone else is away on grant-funded research or some other uh, uh, some other business, uh, we're not going to be able to hire them, all of them, next semester, which means... Courses will go untaught, or faculty will have time taken out of their research and have to teach uh, more than they would otherwise do. And uh, we normally teach three courses a semester, which sounds light if you think of it as three hours in the classroom, but not if you think of it as 10 hours in the classroom for each. That's 30 hours, and you're still expected to do at least as much time on your research. That's another 30 hours, so you've got a 60-hour week, and then don't forget service for another 
uh, 20% of your evaluation score. So you've got to attend committee meetings and do other things like that. It really adds up, and the administration just doesn't buy it uh, that 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 history is a worthwhile topic is is what I'm concluding, and it's it's very frustrating. When I get very frustrated, though, and it seems like this always happens, one can find someone in worse shape. Certainly, I wouldn't want to be you know, starving in the trenches at Petersburg. I'd rather be a professor in the 21st century. But I've learned my colleagues at uh, Elizabeth City State University, another of the UNC system schools, apparently have it much worse uh, in terms of dysfunctional leadership and budget struggles and the horror stories I hear from there make our place look like an Ivy League school, which brings us to our guest tonight, who's at an Ivy League school. Um, last quick word before we get there. Uh, don't forget to check out www.impedimentsofwar.org, where you can find out who's going to be on the show, who's been on the show, click and listen to old shows, click on the PayPal donation button and send money to me. Why? Because you like me. Uh, it's not a donation. It's not a, uh, a tax-deductible donation, I should say. It does help me buy books uh, that I use for the show or painkillers to get through the day before the show begins. Whatever I want to spend it on is okay, uh, according to the law, because it's just a gift to me. And uh, unfortunately, we don't have copies of books to send you in exchange. Uh, hopefully, that will be remedied someday. We'll find another cache of them. But in the meantime, that's what we've got. Um, so feel free to send me your money, uh, like a, a evangelical preacher, uh, without the hypocritical pretense that it's for any good cause. It's just for me. Uh, let's move on and bring our guest in. Uh, who is joining us, I think, for the first time on the show. He is the Director of Special Collections and of the John Hay Library at Brown University, Thomas Horrocks. Uh, Tom, are you there? I am, Jerry. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. Thank you. Uh, it, it's good to hear from you. Uh, we uh, last, I think, saw each other probably at the, the Lincoln Conference at Harvard a couple of years ago. You know, you, I think uh, you're right. Um, and that was... 2009. So Yeah, four years ago. Holy cow. Time flies. Time does fly by. Well, I'm delighted to have you on the show, first of all, because it gives me a chance to uh, talk about your background, uh, that you were uh, formerly the Associate Director for Collections at the Houghton Library at Harvard. Mm -hmm. And as listeners to the show know, I never miss an opportunity to remind people that I have a Harvard degree. Uh, so I've got that out of the way. But uh, you went from Harvard to Brown University, where you are now director of special collections. Um, how how is it at, at Brown? How do you like it there? I like it very much. It's uh, as you would imagine. It's a much different place than Harvard. It's much smaller, a uh, mm -hmm. much smaller student body, um, very much smaller graduate program. But um, what attracted me to Brown was the John Hay Library. Uh, not that I didn't work in a great library at Houghton Library at Harvard, but uh, the John Hay Library has one of the great Abraham Lincoln collections uh, anywhere. Uh, and it's the largest Lincoln collection in an academic library. Uh, and um, so 
being a Lincoln aficionado, and I like to think of myself as a Lincoln expert, uh, that was a real um, drawing card for me. What's the origin of the John Hay Library? Did that start with John Hay's papers? Uh, it it didn't. Um, the John Hay Library uh, opened around 1910, and until about 1964, it was the library of the university. Um, it was that was the third building, um, and then in '64 they built a building right across the street uh, called the John D. Rockefeller Library, which is now the university library. And when they built the Rockefeller Library, as Properly known as the Rock, uh, the John Hay Library became the special collections library. So that's where the rare books, the manuscripts, uh, the artifacts, uh, ephemera, um, you name it, um, are housed. The John Hay Library was not uh, named that because it began with the John Hay Papers. Actually, a lot of the funding to build the John Hay Library um, came from Andrew uh, Carnegie. Uh, as you know, was a great uh, advocate and supporter of the public library system in, in this country. And it just so happened that John, uh, Carnegie was a very close friend of John Hay's. Now, John Hay was a Brown graduate, um, and uh, Brown is very proud of John Hay, but it was at the instigation of Andrew Carnegie that the library was named in honor of John Hay. So that's where the name came from. Um, but later, uh, after the, uh, the university acquired the what became the foundation of what was the foundation of the uh, Abraham Lincoln collection, um, the descendants of John Hay uh, then uh, donated uh, the John Hay papers to uh, the university. So we not only have the great Lincoln collection, but we also have the papers of John Hay, of course, as you and many of your listeners know, was uh, one of Lincoln's two young secretaries when he assumed the office of the presidency. But, of course, Hay went on to have a sterling career um, in, uh, in Washington um, as Secretary of State under McKinley and um, T.R. So uh, he had a great career beyond those years he served as Secretary under, uh, under Lincoln. He's the, the, the source of the phrase, the, the splendid little war. To- That's correct. That's right. Describe uh, the the brush with Spain in 1898. Uh, it, it's, it just sounds so characteristic of him. Uh, there, there's, I you know I've people occasionally will tease me, and you've probably heard it too. When they hear you're interested in Lincoln, they ask, you know, do you ever put on the stovepipe hat and impersonate Lincoln? And my answer always is no. Uh, you know, I don't. Uh, but. It has occurred to me a John Hay impersonator would have an interesting story to tell. Uh, yes, they, he would, um, because you know he was uh, associated with not only Lincoln uh, and those in Lincoln's cabinet um, and the whole coterie of people around Lincoln, but of course he he was in uh, um, was also a writer. 
he wrote poetry and, um, you know, got to know a number of writers of his generation, um, but of course also traveled in diplomatic circles because of being Secretary of State. He also uh, was involved in some way, and I can't quite remember, in the, the Garfield administration. Um, so he has that, uh, you know, one, I guess the Senate could say he was a jinx since he was involved in <laughs> three presidents who were all assassinated. True. You mentioned he's a writer. Did he write the Bixby letter? Um, that has been um, debated, whether he actually wrote it, and he did write a number of uh, letters that Lincoln signed. Um, but uh, Michael Burlingame uh, makes the case that actually it was Lincoln himself who wrote the letter, and I don't know if we'll really ever know for sure. Um, so, uh, no, just I think you mistaken. Burlingame argues that Hay wrote the letter. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, okay, you're right. Yeah, Thank he, you. He's he's, yeah. um, and I, I just say that because a lot of what he argues is based on on what he's found in Hay's papers. That's right. That's right. Uh, uh, that that he the fact that Hay kept a clipping of that particular letter. That's the famous letter uh, to the mother who supposedly had lost five sons. The uh, that's the one right. featured in Saving Private Ryan. Right. Well, we're going to take a short break and get into discussion of Lincoln's campaign biographies uh, with you in just a moment. But first, we'll hear a few messages. My name is Jerry Prokopovich. I'm talking today with Thomas Horrocks, and this is Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at VoiceAmericaTRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN or follow along with us at VoiceAmericaTRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. 
You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at ecu dot edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking today with Tom Horrocks. He is the Director of Special Collections at Brown University's John Hay Library. We were talking about that library, named, of course, for one of Lincoln's two secretaries during the Civil War, uh, and its many interesting uh, collections related to uh, different historical topics. Uh, Tom, before... uh, before we get off that topic, I wanted to ask you if it, if my memory is correct, when I worked at the Lincoln Museum in Fort Wayne, uh, Lewis Warren had started a – the vertical file was what we called it. It was just a, a clippings file of uh, anything he ever saw in a newspaper related to Abraham Lincoln, and he would cut it out, put it in a folder, put it in a, 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 a giant wall of cabinets – and at some point, I think maybe when Mark Neely was director at Fort Wayne, they photocopied the whole thing and sent it to the John Hay Library. Have you seen anything like that there? I have seen it, and you are correct. Um, yes, we have we have a complete set of uh, those clippings uh, in photocopy form. It 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 was a really remarkable sort of naive collection because it didn't matter. There were no sources for a lot of these clippings, but uh, I, when I worked in that museum, I used it all the time for, for bits of information and, and things that were helpful to, to have for presentations. And since that museum closed, I don't know. I assume it's still in Fort Wayne at the Allen County public library now. But it's all the more important that you have a set there because uh, right. it's no yeah. longer accessible. It's a, you know, it's a practice that's uh, really uh, not followed anymore. Um, the vertical files, uh, an old library practice, I think almost every library that's been around for a while probably has a vertical file or two on various uh, subjects or individuals relating to their collections. So. Anyway. So, well, the so yes, it's like, it's good to know that it's still there and in, in good hands, and somebody can keep an eye on on things. Now, before the show started, I was just going through my incredibly cluttered office and thinking, okay, we're going to talk about Lincoln campaign biographies, and I just read Tom's book, and it's got to be around here somewhere, and I'm looking all around because the book is in the the. Uh, Southern Illinois University Concise Lincoln Library series, and I've got half a dozen of these little, like six by nine volumes around the office. They're they're short and compact, and they're right to the point, and uh, written by people we've already talked about tonight, like Michael Burlingame or Alan Gelzo. And they asked you to write one on Lincoln's campaign biographies, uh, and. I couldn't find the book anywhere, and I'm looking and looking, and finally, you know the answer to this. Right, yes, I know. Uh, it's not a book yet. That's uh, right. I've read, I've read the manuscript, and I've, now I've got it in front of me, and I'm, I'm relieved to say I'm thumbing through it. Um, so the first question is, when does the book come out? 
The book is scheduled to be published in March uh, or April uh, of 2014, so this coming spring. And um, I guess uh, if the it will be in March if I get the uh, second uh, final proofs back in time, um, and which I fully intend to do. If any of my editors are out there listening, um, and uh, yeah, so I'm looking forward to it. Well, it it will be uh, a worthwhile addition to that series. So, did did they come to you and say, "Hey, we need a book on campaign biographies," or did you, having encountered this through your work uh, at the Houghton and and where you are now, being familiar with the ephemera of Lincoln presidential campaigns? Did you propose it to them? How did this book come about? Uh, I uh, actually proposed it to them. Um, I met um, Sylvia Frank Rodriguez, um, who is the editor or one of the editors of this series, um, at the conference that uh, you were involved in that I organized at, at Harvard in 2009, the Lincoln Conference. And it was at that time that she was talking about uh, future projects, and she had mentioned to me that they were um, going forward with this concise Lincoln Library, and she was telling me some of you know, the authors that they had already um, had commitments from and the topics that they were doing. And it just so happened when w- we were talking about that, I had actually, I was thinking about writing a book on the campaign biography as a genre, not necessarily specifically on Lincoln, but on the genre, because I collect uh, presidential campaign biographies uh, that were produced in the 19th century. And my original thought was is that I would organize it in several chapters that would uh, concentrate on a particular campaign. And because of my interest in Lincoln, I thought, well, one chapter has to be on 1860 and, um, you know, the Lincoln campaign biographies. But as I was talking to Sylvia, um, the idea was, well, why not just one on Lincoln? Um, Because there's actually two elections here. There's 1860 and 1864. They were looking for concise, um, short volumes, and I thought, that there would be enough there to produce a volume. So I proposed it to Sylvia, and uh, she said, sounds great, um, write up a sort of an, a proposal for me, and she shared it with the other two editors of the series, and um, fortunately they accepted it. So, Well, you say there's a genre of campaign biographies. So did this, uh, did this start with Washington? When did, did people start writing up the president's lives the, to help get the, them elected. The uh, genre emerged in the 1824 uh, election, um, presidential election between John Quincy Adams and Andrew Jackson. And in fact, the I guess one, one could consider the first campaign biography was a, a, a biography of Andrew Jackson um, that actually was originally published um, in 1818. Um, but when Jackson ran in 1824, it, uh, was, uh, revised, 
the original author had died and was revised by uh, another colleague of and supporter of Jackson. And um, that, in a sense, I guess, is considered the first campaign biography. But then, of course, there were more that were published during the campaign. And they've been published uh, in one form or another ever since. Um, so there you have it. So the uh, – now, this is – when these are – I mean, well, I'm thinking today, I don't re- recall – reading campaign biographies every four years, although when you think about it, there are books that the the candidates themselves have written in many cases. That's right, and that's where it's sort of changed now. Uh, As you know, Jerry, in the 19th century, um, presidential candidates certainly um, did not campaign. Uh, In fact, they had to go through this... uh, uh, Sort of tradition followed this tradition that really dates back to the, uh, you know, the the republicanism of the founders that one didn't uh, seek office uh, for personal gain or for power. One accepted the office out of um, for the common good. So it was sort of unseemly to be seen publicly campaigning for office. Uh, now, of course. You know, people declare, they're in debates, they're out giving campaign speeches, they're asking for people money to raise money for them. Uh, and so now, of course, um, they are writing their own books and sort of my vision for America or, and usually what they are is just a, you know, sort of a, a conglomeration of various stump speeches they've given in the past and they put them together and it's a book. Um, and, um, but occasionally you will still get, um, you know, a very, you know, democratically leaning or Republican, uh, supporting, um, support, uh, editor or journal of a journalist writing a, uh, sort of a puff piece or a campaign biography for, um, for presidents. Of course, now with the internet, um, I think the genre is fading away, um, and we're seeing less and less of the campaign biographies written about candidates since you can get all this information you want on the Internet, pro and con. True. Now, with, uh, you mentioned 1824 when Jackson is running, and, and we think today, holy cow, it's, it's only 2013, and already we're starting to hear about – candidates going to Iowa or going to New Hampshire, getting ready for the 2016 race. But uh, but you said Jackson's biography that he used and that was used for him in 1824 and presumably again in 1828 uh, is written well before that. And, and certainly from the minute he lost the 1824 contest in the House of Representatives, he was immediately running for 1828. Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That was a four-year campaign, so that's nothing new in right. – history what about lincoln did he, how did his biographies in 1860 how many were there in 1860 let me start with that there were i've identified what i consider campaign biographies i've identified 16 really um and you know they range like campaign biographies in general they range in you know length from six to eight page pamphlets to 250 page books um 
The thing about campaign biographies, you know, you mentioned Jackson. Jackson is, in a sense, uh, unusual because he did have that sort of that long four-year campaign after his bitter defeat in 1824. But um, in most cases, um, candidates, you know, everyone sort of in the political know uh, had an idea that who might be throwing their hat in the ring. But the candidates weren't identified. Um, the nominees weren't identified until after party caucuses or when conventions came in. And, you know, that was usually during sometime during the summer. Um, and then, of course, with the election in November, and sometimes there, um, there were even state elections um, which in a sense were just as important because of um, as an indication in terms of how things were were going to go um, there wasn't a lot of time to put together a campaign biography um, whether it was a political party who was actually directly or indirectly involved in producing the biography or whether it was a commercial firm uh, taking advantage of people's sudden interest in a campaign. And, you know, the 19th century was a time when people were much more involved in the political process than they are today. I mean, this is when you had, you know, turnouts of 70, 80 percent in presidential elections. Uh, You know, politics for some people were like sports to people today. I mean, this is something they would travel miles to hear a candidate speak or miles to hear, you know, two candidates debate. Uh, So within that six-month period, uh, firms, you know, were competing against each other. Who would get the first campaign biography out on Lincoln or whoever the candidate was? That meant that very quickly, soon as a a candidate or the nominee was known, they had to identify an author they had to the author had to write the biography then they had to have it printed distributed so on and so forth uh in plenty of time to beat the competition uh and they wanted to have it out in plenty of time where people could then buy it read it and hopefully you know uh be uh motivated um to vote for the subject of the biography um So that's how it was done in many cases. Now, of course, you know, let's use Lincoln's nomination as an example. Everyone thought that William Seward, many people thought that William Seward was going to come out of the Chicago Convention in 1860 as the Republican nominee. And there were Seward biographies in the works, just basically waiting for his nomination uh, and then, of course, all of a sudden, this relative unknown, Abraham Lincoln, is nominated, unknown to many uh, outside of Illinois. And so you had this task of not only getting the biography out, but you had to do some research to find out just who was Abraham Lincoln. Um, so, you know, those biographies that, that came out the earliest, of course, then were the ones that were used as a basis to write the ones that came out weeks or months afterwards. And as a, as a result, the later biographies, um, in a sense, there's a lot of the same stories, the same kinds of uh, 
information that you would have read in the first or second biography that came out. So did did Lincoln have a role in producing any of these biographies? Uh, indirectly. Um, he, um, he wrote two biographical sketches, autobiographical sketches, one for Jesse Fell, a colleague, um, actually months very early in 1860. This was months before um, the, the Republican uh, convention. But Fell, because of Lincoln's um, performance in the debates, Fell was one of those colleagues of Lincoln who felt early on that Lincoln was presidential material. And he um, wanted to get the word out uh, on Lincoln and um, uh, sent it off the, uh, the very brief um, autobiographical sketch that Lincoln wrote um, off to uh, a friend of his, a journalist, uh, an editor, actually, in Westchester, Pennsylvania. Um, and, of course, then that editor uh, embellished it, and it was published in the Westchester Times, I believe it was, uh, in early 1860, and actually was used as a basis for later, later biographies. Then, um, after Lincoln's nomination, um, John Locke Scripps of... Uh, a Chicago colleague of, of Lincoln's and an editor um, convinced Lincoln that um, he should write a more fuller autobiographical um, sketch, which Lincoln did. Um, and then Locke, um, Scripps used that for his campaign biography of Lincoln, and that actually turned out to be a popular um, campaign biography. Um, so Lincoln, of course, made it very clear to both Scripps and DeFell that, um, you know, you can use this for, you know, a biography or biographical piece, but um, make sure that no one knows this came from me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, because, again, we're talking about this tradition that one cannot be appearing to be promoting themselves. Um so, so he had to he contribute to it, but had to keep it secret. Had to uh, That's prevent right. anyone from talking about it. We're and, and, take of another course, tr- and of course, Jerry, when other authors, you know, once they were commissioned mm-hmm. by their the party or their publisher, uh, would go to Springfield and interview Lincoln. And Lincoln, of course, was very open to talking with anyone who wanted to come and ask them ask him about his life and career. Um, you know, but he made it very clear. Uh, the, um, William Dean Howells was uh, one of the biographers of Lincoln, um, and his publisher, uh, because not, Howells did not actually go out to uh, interview Lincoln, he sent uh, sort of a research assistant out. Howells didn't feel like traveling to Springfield. So, um, but anyway, his research assistant was... I'm going to have yep. to break in just for a minute because we okay. do need to take a short break. Okay. Uh, but we're going to come back and find out how Lincoln got the word out uh, without seeming to do it through uh, Howells and other intermediaries. We'll find out when we get back in just a moment. This is Civil War Talk Radio.
Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Want to know what's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network host? How about what's new with our network? Make sure you check out the iRadio blog, a look at what's hot at Voice America and beyond. Visit www.iradioblog.com today. Get the inside scoop on every channel on our network, including breaking news, featured guests, blog posts from our hosts, and much more. Make sure you sign up for our newsletter for even more inside action. Visit iradioblog.com today and stay connected. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's p-r-o-k-o-p-o-w-i-c-z-g at ecu dot edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking today with Thomas Horrocks, the Director of Special Collections at Brown University's John Hay Library. And he's the author of a forthcoming book on campaign biographies written about Abraham Lincoln for the 1860 and 1864 campaigns, presidential campaigns, uh, or more generally uh, to... Uh, quote the uh, the subtitle of chapter one: Politics and Print in the Age of Lincoln. Uh, Tom, your your book to be has a a, a focused uh, uh, topic, uh, campaign biographies, but it really looks more broadly at the whole notion of how uh, candidates campaigned, as you and I have been talking about in our first two segments here. You were describing how Lincoln got in touch communicated his story to the public his image of himself that he wanted out there uh through some of these biographers without seeming to do so without writing anything himself uh, uh how did that work uh, you you're saying that uh, 
people like William Dean Howells published about Lincoln, but uh, Lincoln kept his fingerprints off it. That's right. Um, and as I said, many of these uh, biographers, uh, once they were commissioned, uh, traveled to Springfield. Uh, of course, Lincoln was not campaigning um, publicly, but of course we know that he was working very actively behind the scenes um, with various journal journalists and editors and campaign managers and so on and so forth to make sure to get the word out um, about you know where he stood on issues and so on and so forth. Um, the interesting thing about Lincoln, however, when you look at um, the two autobiographical sketches, and then you look at the biographies themselves that were written by others, there was a lot of embellishment going on, um, and a lot that was based on not what Lincoln would have shared with them, uh, but what Lincoln's friends and colleagues and neighbors would have talked about. As you know, Lincoln was very um, reticent to talk about his humble beginnings um, and is somewhat embarrassed, actually, by um, his early life and particularly his uh, parents being uh, illiterate. Um, he did not have a a uh, high opinion of his father's, um, I guess, lack of initiative or interest in education. Um, and though Lincoln would often say uh, publicly or in writing that, you know, my background is, is one of humble circumstances, he didn't really go any farther than that. And he was not someone who uh, relished uh, physical labor on the farm. Uh, he had no intention of uh, being a farmer. Uh, and uh, so it's sort of an interesting um, irony here that uh, this image of Lincoln, the rail splitter, um, a man of humble origins, and is in some ways um, an embellishment that others um, formed from learning about Lincoln's background. Um, so that's kind of an interesting thing, though Though Lincoln, of course, was an astute and shrewd politician, as I said before, knowing that this image of him, um, uh, despite the fact that he might have been embarrassed about his background or that he wasn't particularly fond of physical labor, knew that this was uh, a very potent image and understood the power of this image and, of course, would do nothing to, um, in a sense, renounce it, um, even though he was not something that he was proud of. Um, that's, so that's kind of an interesting irony about uh, the Lincoln image in 1860. Um, now, by 1864, on the other hand, uh, this, this aspect is somewhat is, is in the past, Lincoln... Uh, every, everybody, everybody knows who Lincoln is and what they think of him uh, as uh, you know the self-made man part. Uh, how did campaign biographies differ in 1864? Well, um, they differed in the sense of they still made use. Biographers still made use of you know the story, the life story before the presidency. 
Um, but that wasn't the real thrust or the message. Uh, in a sense, the, the thrust uh, was in 1864 that Lincoln has been tried and he's been tested. Um, he's been resolute. Um, he, in a sense, has become um, a father figure uh, to the soldiers, the Union soldiers. And in a sense, it's that we can trust this man. Um, you know, the old adage, we shouldn't change horses in midstream. Um, he's going to lead us on um, to victory. And in a sense, it's the father Abraham rather than the Lincoln, the rail splitter. But the early life of Lincoln, um, on which this image of Lincoln, Honest Abe, and the rail splitter is based, is not ignored. Um, it's, in a sense, reinforces what Lincoln has done in his years, uh, in his first term as president. In a sense, you know, Lincoln has been a success as president because of where he came from, how hard he worked to get to where he is. Um, and that honest, um, disciplined, um, resolute, um, you know, traits uh, were formed in his early years. So in a sense, it's an extension of that 1860 story um, but adding on that, you know, he has become, in a sense, the father figure to to us and the soldiers, and he um, is the only one who can um, keep us on the course to victory. Do you have a favorite among the Lincoln biographies that you've read or collected? Um, I would say my favorite um, – is the one that um, by Bartlett, uh, David Bartlett, that came out in 1860, uh, The Life and Public Services of Honorable Abraham Lincoln. Um, I don't know. I, I think, it, in a sense, it's um, one of the better biographies. I think the William Dean Howells is a very good one as well. And I think the the Scripps biography is also good, but I would say Bartlett is uh, my favorite one. And in 1864, uh, I'm not sure I have a favorite. Um, uh, what about Lincoln's opponents? Did they all have biographers busy for them? That's right, they did. Uh, they all had uh, biographies. Um, there were... Um, Nine, I think, produced for uh, Stephen Douglas in 1860. There were, you know, five for John Breckinridge, and I think John Bell, the Constitu Constitutional Union Party, had four. And then in 1864, there were a slew of them for McClellan. And of course, they all were pushing and disseminating uh, and, and crafting an image for each of them. Um, but I, I guess in retrospect. Um, those images, no one remembers, you know, what the image was of Stephen A. Douglas or John Breckinridge or even less John Bell. Um, they didn't have the, uh, the story. Uh, I guess Douglas would have come closest uh, in terms of, um, uh, of his background to Lincoln, you know, working his way up um, through the ranks. Of course, McClellan's bi uh, biographies were uh, 
mostly devoted to um, defending uh, his military career. Uh, and um, so there wasn't a whole lot. You didn't get a sense of McClellan's background as you as you would have of Lincoln's. Um, so they all had yes, and of course there was anti. There was an anti-Lincoln image that was that was disseminated as well by his opponents and you know um, Democratic uh, partisan newspapers, um, both in in sixty and in eighteen sixty four. Now, these – I've seen some of these. Uh, we had some at the Lincoln Museum. Uh, you had a number of them on display at the uh, the Houghton Library at the Lincoln Conference in, in 2009. And I, I presume you must have some in your collection uh, at the Hay Library. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so the um, – they – and the, when normally when they're displayed, they're in, in this context with these other – Items with uh, banners and uh, torches from the wide awakes and uh, so on. So they're they're one element in the the campaign. Uh, yeah, story. That's, that's right. And I bring this out in the book. I mean, there the whole um, world of print um, was. I mean, it was sort of like what the internet is today. You know, if uh, if a candidate or a party does not take advantage of the internet or social media. They're, they're not going to be very successful. And in, in the 19th century, the main media to get your message out was print, not just by campaign biographies. Of course, there were newspapers, um, which were heavily involved in, and they were partisan in the 19th century, heavily involved in, in politics. There were broadsides, there were almanacs, there were pamphlets, um, you know, uh, so there was a lot of sheet music, uh, and, and you familiar with all of this stuff, um, songsters. So there were there was a whole slew of uh, an array of genres of print that were used to get the word out. And campaign biographies, the difference was is that they put in combined in one place everything you needed to know about a candidate, where a broadside you know, might make reference to Lincoln as a rail splitter. But the campaign biographies, in a sense, put it all in context. You you got to learn about someone from their birth to the present time. So do you have a title for the forthcoming book? Well, the title is Lincoln's Campaign Biographies. Um, actually, we went back and forth with, you know, coming up with some kind of a subtitle. But as you know, the the titles of the Concise Lincoln Library are concise, and they are. <laughs> um, there are no there are no uh, colons with semi you know with uh, subtitles. So we we went back with various um, ideas, but ended up thinking, well, I guess this is the best we can come up with, and um, so there you have it: Lincoln's campaign biographies. Well, listeners, there you have it. It will be out uh, next spring, in the spring of 2014. Uh, Lincoln's campaign biographies in the Concise Lincoln Library series by Southern Illinois University Press. Uh, Look for it when it comes out. You can say you heard it here first uh, with Tom Horrocks talking about it tonight here on Civil War Talk Radio. Tom, uh, it's, it's good to talk to you again. It's great talking with you, Jerry, and and thank you for inviting me on the show. It's been fun. 
And listeners, as always, thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. Thank you for embarking on a part of American history this week. Civil War Talk Radio with Jerry Prokopovich can be heard live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.